As chairman, I stuck with my old maxim to check small things reinforced long ago at Pathfinder School when I had discovered the sergeant static line unconnected. Checking small things achieves two purposes. It reveals to the commander the real state of readiness and contrast to a surface appearance of readiness and a general's attention to detail lets the soldier far down the chain know that this link is as vital as the one that precedes or follows. This is my Black Book Journal. You all welcome to my Black Book Journal, powered by Act Justly Love Mercy. And you all know that we're here on my Black Book Journal to explore black stories through book reviews and interviews to uncover lessons in life love and leadership you also know that i'll drop a uh, a message i share or a, a speaking engagement or a sermon i preach on here as well because i like to just make sure that we're delivering content i want to apologize i know i've been out for a while y'all i'll get into that later in the podcast but i want to let you all know that we'll have new episodes coming soon i'll drop a bunch of new episodes really soon of some other things that I'm working on, but I want you all to just stay engaged with the content, but new episodes specifically for my black book journal will drop every month. Uh, I'm excited about this new episode that I was able to record for you all. The opening quote came from General Colin Powell's book, My American Story. And I'm going to talk a lot about um, General Powell during this episode and a lot of the things that I've had going on over the last six to eight months. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. But hey, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram. I want to hear from you if you're enjoying the podcast. Um, As always, thank you all for all your support. All right, let's go ahead and jump into it. Over the last six months, I've had many quiet conversations with General Colin Powell, early in the morning over coffee and late in the evening over a hot cup of tea. I try to learn about leadership from different people, and most of my leadership training and experience has come either from pastoral ministry or serving in municipal government. Seriously, y'all, I spent my entire 20s literally serving in those two areas. Though last year, I underwent a personal and professional tragedy. Last April, I was hired as the executive director of a nonprofit that serves as a local affiliate to a national organization. I was tapped to help launch this organization in my city of Birmingham, Alabama. The purpose was to serve students and their families, and part of my responsibilities was to build a team that could make a tremendous impact in the lives of Birmingham families. As I went about hiring my first team members, everything was running smoothly. Well, as smoothly as any startup could hope it to be. Everything changed, though, while at a training a week away from starting our programming. We tragically and unexpectedly lost a member of our fledgling team. This loss hit hard and ran deep for me personally and also for our team. I had previously served alongside this team member in another organization, and she considered me to be one of her professional mentors. I considered her my friend. Now, I will not share the details of what happened but I will share that her death was the greatest test of leadership that I've ever had to endure. It tested my mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical strength and called into question whether or not I could endure such hardships and leadership. 
Y'all, this is the first time that I've mentioned this in a public setting. And that's because I believe that vulnerability is important. I believe that we should share our wounds publicly, even if that means they're still healing. But as leaders, it's important not to share our open scars. Now, I could be wrong on that, but it's taken me some time to get to this point. As you all know, if you've listened to this podcast, books help to comfort and strengthen me. I will often reach for a book to mentor me during difficult times and different seasons in my life. And during this difficult season, I reached for three books. First, I reached for former President Obama's book, A Promised Land. Though I had read it earlier in 2021, I turned on the audiobook and listened to a leader that I greatly respect and heard how he navigated the weight of leadership. The second book I reached for was General Colin Powell's book, My American Journey. General Powell was a man familiar with grief and loss, and I wanted to sit with him to hear his story. I wanted to hear from a man who knew what it was like to go through the world's worst pain, the pain of loss, grief, and honestly regret, and to keep going. Now, my journey with General Powell will be the content of today's podcast, and the quote at the opening of today's show came from this book. But before I get there, I need to share with you the third book that I reached for. It was the Bible. Yes, the good old B-I-B-L-E. Growing up, we used to sing that song that said the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. But y'all, I didn't reach for the Bible first. I reached for it third. Now, maybe that says something about me, but during that time, I found it extremely difficult to connect with God. I didn't feel like he was hearing me. I tried to pray, but often my words felt hollow and empty. Now, I was eventually able to engage with the scriptures again, but I had changed. The only reading that I could really do at that time was through the books of 1 Samuel through 2 Kings. And that really had a lot to do with seeing how Israel was undergoing a major change and raising up leaders like Samuel and Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam and Jeroboam and people like that. There was a practicality in those books of how God raised up those leaders and that they would either submit to him in the midst of difficult and trying times or they strayed away because the challenge was too tough. What I have seen, though, is how God used the former to guide me back to the latter. Y'all, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. My books are my journal. I used to write in a journal. I still do, but now I'm mostly writing my books. After going through that loss, I found it difficult to write. Most of my writing developed into a string of questions or honestly gibberish, just a bunch of garbled thoughts, undecipherable even to me. But in my books, I found clarity. I found a place to write, a place to think. Space to be alone with my mentors in the presence of God in the midst of silence. I found quiet listeners who asked me good questions and gave me the space to respond in my own way. Now, some of you all listening to this are going to say, sound is like you needed counseling. Well, yes, that's true. I did. 
And thanks be to God for some of those close mentors in my life, for my mother and my father, for Mr. Cedric Sparks and Mr. DePriest Wadi. Thank you to great friends and thank you to a true spiritual mother, Miss Melanie Harmon, my guy, David Dada, and my guy, Cedric Moore, and my guy, Cameron Davenport, my beautiful wife. They all walked with me through the grief and ensured that I went to counseling. And while that was extremely helpful, it was my books that the Lord used to give me the time I needed to process. Some of my best conversations came with General Colin Powell, who taught me valuable lessons as I sat and read through his wisdom and experience. So I thought that I'd take some time with you and share some of the things I learned from this mentor. Colin Powell was born April 5th, 1937 to Luther and Ari Powell, two Jamaican immigrants who immigrated to the United States in their early 20s. Colin Powell was born in Harlem, but spent most of his formative years in the South Bronx. He speaks of growing up in Hunts Point. For my listeners who read a lot about education and child welfare, this is the central neighborhood in author Jonathan Cazot's book, Amazing Grace, a book that is worthy of a podcast all its own. But General Powell speaks of Hunts Point during the 1940s and 50s as heavily Jewish mixed with Irish, Polish, Italian and black and Hispanic families. He speaks of growing up on Kelly Street was a slightly curved street, which earned the name Banana Kelly. Colin Powell, by his own admission, was not the best student growing up. Unlike his sister, who always received high grades and attended the elite Walton High School, he describes his neighborhood school, Morris High School, like this. Morris High was like Robert Frost's definition of home, the place where when you show up and they have to let you in. Colin Powell grew up in a home full of love, but didn't have any trouble finding trouble in his neighborhood. He developed a reputation for fighting, running with the gang, and quitting. Literally, y'all, he speaks about quitting everything he did. But he also speaks about finding purpose at St. Margaret's Church. While he was identified as a good kid and a good worker, he says he didn't excel in anything except being an acolyte and a subdeacon at St. Margaret's. Now, Y'all, I could really identify with that because I was always seen as a good kid, but honestly, I had no direction. I was uncertain about what would become of my life after high school, and I, I found a lot of identification with General Powell as he shared this early part of his story. He shared about how he would later graduate from Morris High School with a C average, but he found himself selected to both New York University and the City College of New York. He ended up attending the City College in New York because he says the tuition was $10 a year, while NYU's tuition was $750 a year. Now, I can't even imagine that, but that's a conversation for another day as well. It was at the City College of New York where he was to get involved with ROTC. It was also during this time that he learned a valuable lesson that he would later teach me. And that lesson is that being in charge means making decisions, no matter how unpleasant. He says, if it's broke, fix it. And that when you do, you will win the gratitude of the people who have been suffering under the bad situation. He taught me that you cannot let the mission suffer or make the majority pay to spare the feelings of an individual. In plain speak, he says this, that being responsible sometimes means ticking folks off. From there, General Powell started his career in the army. And this is where we had some of our most heartfelt conversations. We spoke about leadership. We spoke about overcoming adversity. We spoke about dealing with racism and people's limiting beliefs about us. 
He spoke to me about when he first encountered racism and how it was new to him. He shared about learning to cope with racism psychologically by first identifying his priorities and not giving way to self-destructive rage, no matter how provoked he was. He told me how he was not going to let himself become emotionally crippled because he could not play on the same field or play on the whole field. They did not feel inferior and that he would not allow someone else's feelings about him to become his feelings about himself. Then, y'all, we had a conversation about the realities of war. He shared with me the first time he experienced a human error that cost people their lives in an artillery accident. He shared that he had seen hundreds of war movies, but nothing had prepared him for the sights he saw that day. He also spoke to me about serving in Vietnam and how it changed him. It was in these conversations during that time of my life that I felt really close to General Powell. He opened up to me about his deep feelings of the first time he experienced death in a war zone. He says, I felt drained. The lark was over. The exhilaration of a cocky 25-year-old American had evaporated in a single burst of gunfire. Somebody got killed today. Somebody was liable to get killed tomorrow and the day after. This was not war movies on Saturday afternoon. It was real and it was ugly. He shared with me what it was like for him that first night. Danny, I inflated my air mattress, set it on the ground, stretched down my sleeping bag over it and crawled in. I was shivering. I needed to steel myself to get through tomorrow and all the other tomorrows until it added up to a year. I was crippled by a terrible loneliness, made all the more acute because I could not share my fears. I was the senior American advisor, the one the others looked to for strength and guidance. His words piercing into my soul, looking up to me from the pages, he shares what came the next morning. Danny, somehow the world did not look so frightening in the light of day. This awareness that things will look better in the morning got me through many a dark night. I learned during that season of my loss that just waking up and being present in the day is a win, y'all. I learned that leadership cannot detach from the mission and that if we lose sight of the mission, then we have lost the fight. While my friend was not lost due to war, it did feel like we were under attack. We assembled together with a mission of combating decades of intentional disinvestment in our community to fight against poverty, low expectation, hopelessness, education inequality, apathy, and the mutating evil of institutional injustice. We lost a friend in the midst of that fight. My question to General Powell was, how do you feel the void of a soldier who signed up for the fight because their lives were the fruit of the possibility for more? Someone whose story was from deep brokenness, but through faith, vulnerability, grit, and a network of people overcame their own personal war to sign up as a soldier to liberate others from the crippling effects of broken from living in this broken world. He taught me this lesson, that you can't replace them and you never really feel the void, but you do honor them and their courage by staying in the fight and not surrendering the mission that united you all together. You continue to learn from them and their ways. You speak about them honestly with the ones who were in the fight with you all, and you make a decision to use your strength to keep pushing forward. Y'all, there were and honestly still are days where I feel the loss deeply, where I just feel tired in the midst of the fight. 
where I feel so small and the opposition seems so big. There are still times when I ache and question, but I have not surrendered the mission. Neither has our team. We adapt and we grow. We grieve and we learn, but we have not surrendered the mission. There is a concept popularized by the 16th century Spanish mystic and poet St. John of the Cross, known as the Dark Knight of the Soul. John of the Cross was a lover of Jesus. Like his deep contemplative prayer life was viewed as a threat and he suffered greatly because of it. He spoke of undergoing such abuse at the hands of others and prayed night and day for God to deliver him from his torment. But he was imprisoned unjustly and left alone in the dark, only being fed bread and water. And through it all, John of the Cross never surrendered the mission. He stayed faithful to Jesus and to his call. And his life and his teaching 400 years later still moved people like me to remain faithful. And even in the midst of darkness to know that God is at work. During this season, I underwent my own dark night of the soul, but I've seen God walk me through it all. God did not give up on me and he empowered me not to give up on him or his mission. Y'all, we'll be right back. While it would be very difficult to recount all of the things that General Colin Powell taught me during our months together, reading his book, My American Story, and even now as I continue the conversation with his book, It Worked For Me and Life and Leadership, I want to conclude with one final lesson from General Powell, and that is that leadership is solving problems. He says that the day people stop bringing their problems to you is the day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help them or concluded you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. The world is full of problems. Right now, as this is being recorded, Russia and Ukraine are at war. Russia invaded Ukraine on Thursday, February 24, 2022, and we don't have to look very far to see the turmoil that is taking place right now in our world. We've been flooded with pictures from, from Ukraine of war and devastation. Our nation is full of problems. We spent the last two years arguing over critical race theory, vaccine and mass mandates, and false accusations of voting fraud, while many of our students have fallen behind socially, emotionally, and academically. While 950,000 people in the United States have died due to COVID-19 and worldwide, 6 million people have died. Our cities are full of problems. Over the last 10 days, 11 people have been killed in my city of Birmingham, Alabama due to gun violence. I could go on. But many of you are familiar with the problems because we spend so much time arguing over them, but we don't spend enough time discussing and working towards solutions. General Powell was encouraging me to get to work and stay in the fight. Y'all, I meet people all the time who want to lead something, people who want to be in charge of something. And often I ask them the question, why do you want to lead? The answer that I most, I most often get back is economic mobility, a.k.a building generational wealth. Well, I don't have a problem with that since the Bible says a righteous person leaves an inheritance for his children's children and the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And God also tells his people that he has given them the ability to gain wealth. I do think that that is a poor or a lousy chief motivation to do anything. If we make wealth our mission, then we are contributing to the problems, not solving them. 
I note that some people listening to this will immediately argue that black people have been historically and systematically locked out of gaining and acquiring wealth in America. And to that, I say yes. Yes, they have. I know that some people will say that the way to true change is more power, which comes to accumulating wealth, real estate, positions of influence and entrepreneurship. While I believe in the importance of home ownership, equal opportunity and the ability to start a business, I do not believe that doing those things with the sole purpose of gaining wealth is a worthy mission. I think it's selfish and only contributes to the problem. Now, I'm not trying to preach at you, but I do want to share what it really means to solve problems. I believe that our mission should be to solve the problems we see in the world. What is your mission beyond generational wealth? What problems does your mission solve? Not just for you and your family, which is important, but for others as well. How does your wealth help others? How does your influence serve others? How does your promotion promote others? How does your life give life to others? What does your business do to serve other people? Do you seek to start a business to build a culture that frees people from toxic work environments and invests in them to thrive in your company and beyond? Then that's a worthy mission because it deals with solving a problem that so many people face of working in toxic environments not being invested in. Do you want to acquire real estate for passive income or do you provide affordable housing for families? Do you have a plan to maintain that rental property so that you don't become a slum landlord? Are you creating problems? Or are you solving them? Do the people you serve or the people you serve alongside trust you enough to bring you their problems? Or are you seen as somebody that only creates problems and that's in it for themselves? General Powell confronted me with this. The problem I'm currently combating primarily right now can be summed up with a plaque that sits on my desk. It says, be who you needed when you were younger. I encourage each one of you to challenge your mission and see if it serves you or if it serves others. Yes, life is filled with problems and challenges, but remember to not surrender the mission, even through the darkest night of the soul. Thank you all for tuning into my Black Book Journal, and thank you all for listening to me as I share my story. Peace. See you all next time.